Hello and welcome to Culture Shock with Kate, Adam, and Owen, three metalheads who discuss releases and big questions facing listeners and musicians today. This is episode 16, featuring Dark Space. But first, Owen, what were you listening to this week? So like last week, I listened a lot to the Machina album Progenitor. I'm not going to really go into that because I talked about it already. Um, I also listened to an album that I haven't listened to in a while, which is odd because it was one of my favorite albums of 2014, which was not that long ago. But it was the The Silver Mount Zion Memorial Orchestra album, Fuck Off, Get Free, We Pour Light on Everything. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) It's an interesting album title. Yes. (laughs) So they are affiliated, I guess, with the seminal post-rock band Godspeed You Black Emperor. So it's it's an easy out to say describe their music as post-rock, but for me it sounds more along the lines of experimental rock and even psychedelic rock. It's very, very heavy music with a vocal performance that can be a bit of an acquired taste, but everything about the album sounds off-kilter, so I think the vocals fit in that way. It was a good listen. And then, not so good of a listen. Usually I don't go seek out bad albums to listen to. Like, if I listen to an album, it's because I feel, I suspect on some level there's a chance that I could at least enjoy it a little. But my morbid curiosity was just piqued too much by this new Kid Cudi album. Because I saw a lot of outlets calling it the worst album of 2015. So I listened to it. It's called Speed and Bullet to Heaven. I listened to it because I just had to know. It was just too hilariously incompetent for me to hate it. Like, I spent more time laughing at it than I spent cringing. I mean, how can you hate an album where Kid Cudi is sincerely singing Her Vagina is Moist and Warm? Yeah. <laughs> what? Wait, what genre is this? It grunge. Or at least he thinks oh. it's grunge. He thinks he's huh. Kurt Cobain on this album. Because oh. not only does he release this long-ass album of him trying and failing to make alternative rock, but then he has an entire second disc that is just demo material. Which uh. is surprisingly not any less enjoyable than the actual album itself, because it is just as hilariously incompetent. So, yeah, that, if I had listened to that last year, it wouldn't have even made that top five worst albums I heard of that year list that I posted on Facebook. It was ju- I just didn't hate it enough. I couldn't hate it. It was too bad it's good. Wow. <laughs> That's so awkward. So, if, if you like too bad, so bad it's good music, I recommend Kid Cudi's Speed and Bullet to Heaven. That's the numeral two, not the word T-O. Of course oh, it is. <laughs> Everything about that sounds like a train wreck. It, it, it was. I haven't experienced such a glorious train wreck since Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas shot up to the worst rated spot on IMDb. <laughs> and that was a fun train wreck to watch. This was even better. Uh, but on the better side, after I talked about them in our last episode where we talked about bands that we would want another album from, I listened a lot to the Thrasumblat album, Wanderer on the Continent of Saplings. Which, like I mentioned, there is a mix between melodic black metal and maritime folk music. It's a little rough around the edges. It does kind of sound like a bunch of sailors got together to make a melodic black metal band, but they somehow managed to get a good recording budget, and so they managed to put together a pretty good album. I I personally enjoy it. Did you listen to it, Kate? Because you mentioned you were interested in it. Yeah, I I mentioned last week that it sounded interesting, so I listened to it for... um... I listened to it like one and a half times because I couldn't remember which track I uh, left off on when I listened to it yesterday. And um, I had mixed feelings about it. I had to listen to it a little more to get better opinions, but 
I, there wasn't as much maritime influence as I thought there was going to be. Mm. Like it seemed a little bit more re- uh, restricted to the to the two like filler tracks where they did more of traditional she- sea shanty type um, type stuff. I was also I don't know. I thought it was kind of weird that they sung about the forest sometimes. When <laughs> <laughs> it is called Wanderer on the Continent of Saplings. Yeah, see, that's that seemed weird to me. With like a maritime influence, there wasn't a whole lot of sea-themed songs. I sort of expected it to be more, you know, I don't know, well, in the ocean, I guess. But I thought it was interesting. It was a little inconsistent. So. That is very true. It is stylistically a little all over the place in the styles it draws from, which I find endearing. But not everyone will. Yeah, it's just a case of I wonder if um, it's it's a band that I'm interested in seeing what they do next because I wonder if they'll do a better job of blending in the future, uh, in a better job of like ma- making their influences a little more clear on the songs that were more straight up melodic, uh, black metal, making it a little bit like because when it was just straight up melodic black metal, it wasn't like special really. But if you know what I mean, <laughs> so maybe if they like. But I, I had a problem. Yeah, I had that problem with a couple other things that I've listened to recently. Where I feel like when you do it straight up, uh, you have to bring something extra to it. And I feel like all the really good extra stuff like didn't hit every single track. The other album that I listened to this week that I was a little bit disappointed in was from a band that I used to listen to a lot more in the past called Mustan Kun Lapset, and they do kind of a folk and black metal blend and there's some that there's some tracks on the album that were really good and some tracks on the album that just didn't stand out a lot and i remember listening to it a lot uh a while ago i mean a while ago in the sense like eight years ago but (laughs) i used to listen it used to be on constant rotation in my mp3 player um but then i listened to a a couple tracks and some of them i didn't even really remember so i wonder if i had already curated the album to be the couple good tracks like or i don't say they were all good it's just some of them were really good and some of them were just nothing special so i don't know it was a little disappointing to re-listen and not be as into it as i was before or not like remember yes this was as great as i remember but i guess that happens um the other one i listened to that I hadn't listened to in a while was Blue Dots Nord's um, Cosmosophy 777, which was... That's their most recent one, right? I was just trying to remember where it is. On um, the I'm trying to think because they have like thought... splits in EPs. No, the most recent is Memorial Between the Three. Oh, yep, that's right. And then there's like some splits in EPs that it... are even more recent. That are even more recent so. Yeah, because I was like, that one was came out a while ago, so it couldn't be their most recent thing, but yeah. I hadn't listened to the splits and things like that. I tend yeah. not to listen to splits as much. Um... Yeah, because that came out a while ago and listened to it a lot when it came out. Uh, and I was I like the design on the cover of that too. It's got it's like a white cover and it has all these snakes descending and things like that. Um, but I couldn't remember much about the music, and so I listened to it. And it definitely there's certain ways that it harkens back to Morton in the sense that it has a little bit less song structure and it's a little more abstract. Um, but that's also true of Desanctification, which I like more. Because Desanctification has a lot of tracks that are just compelling on top of that, that have really good leads. And I just don't think that um, Cosmosophy has a whole lot of really compelling writing, even though it's overall an alright album. It's just doesn't go that extra step, which is disappointing. <laughs> so, a couple disappointments this week. Then, on top of that, um, 
on top of that, last night I listened to Sage again while I was doing some work, and it was just is just as good as I remembered. So no disappointments there. One of my <laughs> favorite atmospheric black metal albums, pretty much of all time. You listen to Remy Sans, right? That yeah. Yeah, I just don't trust that I can actually pronounce the French well enough to <laughs> do it justice. But yeah, no, I listened to that one. It was great. I mean, I'm never, I'm not a huge fan of their little like organ intro, but once you get past that, it's great. Yeah, I, I've always wondered like what the point of that was. I mean, I cut it off my MP3 player obviously to, for space issues, and that I'm never gonna be like, yeah, the organ intro, you know. So it's only like a minute long. Yeah. They never harken back to it in the rest of the album. There's no other organ in the album. No, there isn't. They just have an intro and then it goes into the first track, which, you know, they could have left off or done a different instrument, whatever. Yeah. I skipped it and everything was wonderful. <laughs> well, what about you, Adam? Um, so this week I finally got a package in the mail from uh, Wolfspell Records. Um, they're the ones that put out Hair Modder. And if you remember back to the episode I named uh, their latest album as one of the best for the year. And so my package finally came in, and it had that album in it, and it also had the new um, Stores album, which is actually pronounced completely wrong. And Stores made a post on their Facebook recently about it. Their album, I mean, their band name is actually pronounced more like Stvost. Huh? It's like S-T-V-O-S-T. So that's how you're huh. supposed to pronounce it. So I thought that was interesting. So the new Stvost was in there, and I was really interested in that, and I listened to the whole thing, and I'm very excited. It's all very, very good. I like it a lot, as I expected. So it's just nice to have the CD versions rather than listening to, like, the YouTube version or the Bandcamp version. So I listened to that. And I think that's mostly what I listened to for the week. Um, oh, I got a in a Necrochrist SS split, you know, trying to fill out the rest of my collection there. And... It's an older one, so Necrochrist SS wasn't in their high point yet for me, so I listened to the two tracks that were on there, and they were just, eh, they were all right. Um, eventually, that band comes around in their later catalog to being really, really good uh, finished black metal, so if you like that sound and feel, they get much better at writing their songs, so I like them a lot. Um, I think that's about it that I, that I got in. Uh, the big news for me, though, is I went to a show last night, and Niall is on tour, by themselves, weirdly enough. It's not like a tour package. It's like the weirdest thing I've seen. So last night, they had a show in my area, and it was basically just them as headliner, and I think uh, four local bands, which is very unusual. And what was even more unusual was the local bands only got 20 minutes each, and then Niall played for an hour, so the show was over by like 11.15 on a Saturday night, which is very bizarre. And I mean, this is going from someone who plays shows until like 1 a.m. on a Thursday night, you know, never mind. So, I mean, I'm not going to complain. Getting out early is never a bad thing to me because I, I get tired at like 10.30. So it's like I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go to bed. But, you know, getting out that early was just surprising to me. So it was kind of funny. Um but it was a good show. Uh, Averse is a local band that played here. Played they play like a melodic death metal style. It's very like progressive in style. Um, I've played with them. I think two times so far. We're playing with them again in Salem in February. So they're always good. They're a great, they always put on a great show. They're always very tight, very solid band, and um, I like a lot. I actually like what they do. They do a good job with melodic death metal. I think. 
Um, and then my other friend's band, Soul Remnants, played. They play like really good old school death metal style. So if that's something you're into, that's definitely great. And they played right before Nile. So they really set the tone like really good because Soul Remnants was crazy. And then Nile played. And I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm the biggest Nile fan by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I got Amongst the Catacombs when it came out. And I was very excited about that because it was very different. It was very cool. And there was nothing else like there. And then I feel like Nile kind of started playing more of a typical style of death metal with some Egyptian themes here and there. And eventually I feel like the Descartes got a little samey for me. But I've seen Nile so many times that I wasn't so excited to see Nile again because I've seen them a bunch. And I mean, they were great live, but I feel like they have some problems that a lot of other that other bands don't have. And one of the problems that I, I feel like with them is that it's really hard to mix their guitars in a live setting well. They tune their guitars are tuned so low that it's really hard to hear a lot of the fretwork over the triggered bass drum. So that's where you have like real issues. So Nile always sounds like mud to me whenever they're playing. But oh my god, their vocal performance though. The the vocal between the three singers was amazing. They did just such a spectacular job on that. And I love their vocal tone a lot of the time. So you know, that's one thing that I I definitely appreciate from Nile is their vocal work and, you know, I'm always very impressed by it. Every album they put out is just stellar in that regard. Even if the music can get a little samey over the years. But it was a great show. It was crazy, though. I swear there were like three or four f actual fights that almost broke out that we witnessed, and it was pretty ridiculous. And that's unusual. I usually don't see that kind of happening. So we watched, Devin and I, we watched some girl like attack a guy and then try to like push him into another guy and then get that other guy to fight the guy she was trying to attack because she wasn't big enough to take him on. So that was that was interesting until the security guard showed up. So. <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah. So that was the show that I went to. It was interesting. Um, and then on the way home, I, I listened. To, I pulled out something that I hadn't listened to in a while. And I listened to uh, Inchtiller's uh, Navigator because I hadn't listened to that in a while. And I wore an Inchtiller shirt. So I was like, you know, maybe I am kind of in the mood for, for that. So I listened to that on the way home. And Navigator's as good as it's always been. It's like my favorite release from them. So It's a really good release. Yeah, it's very, very good. So that's pretty much it for my listenings. Dark Space is an ambient black metal project from Switzerland. They were founded in 1999, have four released albums since then, and all their tracks and albums are numbered with no titles. So which album did we hear first? So I guess I'll start, because I heard them first, and I actually yes. heard them on their demo when that came out in 2002, and that was Dark Space Minus One. And um, I remember it... I heard about it because it was kind of like talked about quite a bit in the community at the time. So eventually I got it recommended to me from someone. I forget who because it's too long ago to remember that. And I remember people were like, this, this project sounds really awesome. So I went, I checked it out. I downloaded their demo. I don't even think you can download it on their site anymore. And their site's the same site they've always had. And But this is this is like so far back where, you know... It was typical to compress music in 128 kbps instead of 320 mm. like we get nowadays because it would take such a long time to download. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like you wanted to save space on your hard drive. So the recording quality wasn't spectacular or anything to say the least. Um, but the demo sounded, it was okay. It wasn't like amazing stuff, but it, it got me interested in the project. So I started watching them and 
ever since then I kind of followed what they were up to and bought their CDs as I could get a hold of them because I remember there was a huge time lag in between and I missed out on Dark Space 1 when it came out um, the original Digipack version and I missed out on the original Digipack of Dark Space 2 but at by the time Dark Space 2 came out they were in the mode of printing a Digipack and then printing a jewel case after the fact like doing a limited Digipack and then doing the jewel case so I got into that habit where I where Dark Space 2 is where I really started following the project because that actually made it into the United States back then it was even harder to find stuff overseas and stuff i don't even think paypal existed back then so i mean with the advent of things like paypal and everyone using that it's a lot easier to order overseas um nowadays but back then it wasn't so easy so i kind of was reliant on the distros that i dealt with and it wasn't until the end records um got a deal in with avant-garde that they were going to start stocking avant-garde releases so when they did that i started buying dark space because dark space 2 hit and then uh, one was released, I think, around the same exact time when they eventually put out a jewel case version of that. So that's how I heard about Dark Space. How about you, Kate? Yeah, I Dark Space Two was the first one I heard, um, and I thought it was interesting. It wasn't until Dark Space Three that I was really compelled by the project, because um, Three represents such an increase in quality from Two for me. Yeah, for me too. Yeah. Um, that like, I mean, I thought Two was right, but like, I don't really. I don't really put two in rotation, and I never really did. Um, which one did you hear first? Uh, so I know that I heard three first, but I don't have any memories from listening to three before I listened to it to prepare for this episode of the podcast. I only know I heard it for- first because I remember when Dark Space 4 came out, listening to it and mentally comparing it to number three, and just thinking... I, I remember when it came out, I thought the title was pronounced Dark Space 3-1. Oh, yeah. yeah, Because that's not how you spell the Roman numeral four. Yeah, I was really confused when they did that. And it was also such a, I think, a departure of sound. Not a radical one, but it was a different enough departure of sound from three that I thought, maybe this is just some side experiment that they're going to do before they release Dark Space 4, which will, of course, (laughs) be titled Dark Space IV and not Dark Space III Space I. (laughs) Although I do love the way that they... um announced for that was one of my favorite things ever mm-hmm. when they announced it it was just um morse code so it was a, it was a um it was a i was on their website and it was a sound file of just morse code <laughs> it was so cool i was like wow that is like that up there that's up there that's a really cool way to do it yeah definitely so i was really impressed with that so i like that so i was that made me even more excited for four when i when i saw that up there and the way they did that i thought it was cool there was a pretty big gap between three and four, though, as far as time. Yeah. So, I think everyone was excited for four. Anytime Dark Space posts an update, everyone's like, is it four? Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> I don't even think anyone had to translate the Morse code for someone to be like, that's got to be an announcement. I know. I know what it is. <laughs> don't know Morse code, but I know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, three was your favorite. Yeah, three is still my favorite. I mean, 4 was good, but 3 still holding strong as my favorite. Um, I think 4 has, like, some improvements. I think they've really harnessed the way their production value um, is set up now. I, th- I think they've always had issues with some production value. But in 
four, they've really like figured it out. They get a really good balance between the guitars, vocals, and uh, program drums. So they really figured out how to mix that in a way that you get to hear everything kind of on equal footing. And it doesn't come off as, as nearly as harsh as before. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about that, though, because part of the appeal for 3 for me was the fact that it was very raw and harsh at some points. Not raw and harsh the way that some, like, tape, like old oh, black yeah, metal yeah. tapes are raw and harsh, but it had that kind of raw energy of, I don't know, I would say like a primal energy kind of thing, whereas 4 felt very composed. Um so I had mixed feelings about that because I don't think there was any part of four that was intense as as intense as some parts of three. No, I totally agree with that. But I, it makes me wonder though, like if they had actually used um, the production methods of four with the songs on three, if three would have been as powerful. Because um, I don't know how much the rawness is adding to the power on three as much as the actual composition. Because I think the composition on three is, I don't know, it 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 strikes me as much stronger, much more powerful the way they did it. That's true. Especially because on 4, there are a lot of really long ambient passages in the middle of a song that's 20 minutes. Um, A couple of the tracks on 3 were easily skippable ambient uh, passages. There was one track that's like 3 minutes long that if you skip it, you don't really miss it. Yeah, that's an ambient interlude thing. But the thing is, is the guitar work on it, it's like so much more intense is the the way they're going in in the compositions there. And, and like you're saying with 4, there's a lot of like huge expanses of like slow movements that go on in there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I think 3 would have still been strong even with the current production. I mean, the production on 3 does kind of fit the whole image that they're going for because yeah. it sounds like it's being recorded off in the distance of space. Like right, yeah. They looked at the forests of Norway and said, no, this isn't bleak and desolate enough. We're going to go into the <laughs> vacuum of space. Yeah. And that's where we're going to play. Yeah. And it's got um, the all those like harsher aspects or just the colliding stars and yeah. the, you know. Which uh, is a vibe I kind of got from 4 too, but that sounds more like they're playing inside of a spaceship rather than just in the Mm -hmm. deep blacks of space. Yeah. Um, Especially because I think four sounds, I would almost use the word industrial, more so than three, especially for those mid-paced guitar lines on four that for me were the biggest style departure from three that made me think the title was (laughs) 3-1. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. There were some parts where it was very industrial to the point where I was like, wow, this is industrial, and like actually sitting there and thinking about about that was something I never thought on three. Even right. though they had programmed drums the whole time, they had right. electronic samples, they had you know that kind of stuff that was still very industrial in some way. But I never sat down and thought, "Wow, how industrial inspired." <laughs> but the fact is, the fact is though they don't actually have a drummer, so all of their drums have to be programmed. Yeah, and there's sometimes where. Um... I wish I feel like sometimes there's like lost opportunities here because I feel like they're defaulting to the um, Pace H Dever drum programming, which I'm sure is all done by uh, Winter or he goes by Roth in this one I guess, in Dark Space. But um, I'm sure he's just using the Winter's drum programs that they that he's used for ages in Pace H Dever, and I feel like Dark Space, I want I kind of want them to step it up a notch with the drum programming, and kind of include some ideas that maybe Bluetooth Nord is using because it would be really cool to have some of the ideas that Bluetooth Nord uses in the arrangement and design of their drums 
in a setting like Dark Space, which is where I think it would fit even better sometimes. Because I remember there's a part on Works with Transforms God where, you know, the bass drum sample is doing what it normally does. And then there's this shift in the song. And then they change the bass drum sample to go along with the shift in the way the, the feel of the song is. And it hits so hard that it just makes you really pay attention to it and gets you right into it a lot more. And I think Dark Space could start playing around with that nowadays too. I feel like they can start um, playing with the way they arrange their drums instead of just doing, okay, we're going to use our one drum program, maybe have a much more elaborate setting and actually change some of the samples they use here and there. Because sometimes maybe, yeah, if you're going to use the, the blasting part with the intense blast beats and the fast double bass, you know, you want to use what you're typically using. But maybe in the slow parts where the Owen's getting into the more industrial sections, you want to use like maybe something an even more powerful kick that's gonna like punch through even harder, yeah. you know. And I think that would be interesting. I mean, those blast parts though, those those were one of the things that held me back from really loving either of these albums is when they default to that sound where they're just blasting it at such a high intensity. I I didn't mind the program drums on most of the album especially in the more industrial parts where it fit even more, but even the less industrial parts, it wasn't a distraction for me mm -hmm. until they start blasting at full blast. And it's <laughs> like, it, you, it's distracting. It's how obvious those drums are. They have to be programmed to play that fast. And I think it's just also a really characterless drum beat. Like, oh, you just played it really fast. Cool. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, that's that's been kind of the typical problem that everyone has with programmed drums across the board because i mean you can't substitute a real drum kit and it's also one of the complaints that i have with drummers that use um electronic kits like behemoth drummer inferno he records with an electronic kit but with real cymbals Be <laughs> so it's kind of like a hybrid in a way and then when they play live he uses a full kit and that's where you really get to hear behemoth shine in my opinion because you can hear all the bleed over you get from an actual kit so like when you hit that snare drum, some of the snare resonance is going to bleed into the microphones that are hooked up to the toms. Mm. And you don't get that on any Behemoth album because all of the drums are so specific that you know they can engineer everything perfectly because you're direct lining it in. So I mean, it may, it's easy on a mixing end of things, but you lose that organicness that I feel like you get with a real drum kit. So that's exactly what you, the, that's the biggest problem with the um, program drums of across the board is that you know you're gonna hit that snare it's not gonna ring out you're not gonna hear the snares like hit the back of it too well or ring out the same way as a real snare would so you lose a lot of the i don't know power and feel as it would sound i mean for an atmosphere as desolate as the one dark space is trying to create do you think that's necessarily a bad thing i don't know i because i'm a huge proponent of like no triggers you know real kits so i love the way that stuff sounds more than anything um, I can get over program drums. I mean, obviously I can because I wouldn't like Dark Space 3 or at all. But, you know, it being one of my favorite albums in existence means I can get over it. I think um, Dark Space can use it. But I think this is an interesting way to like, I mean, what I'm getting at where Dark Space should play with drum tone more. They even have drum programs now that get you some, they get really close to accurate tone. Like, if you use, like, Superior Drummer or something for programming your drums, you can get really, really close to an actual drumming tone. You're not going to... You're going to... You're not going to get the same thing you're going to get from a real drummer behind a kit, but, 
you know, in terms of tone, it'll sound pretty close. And that's what I mean, where I, it would be kind of neat to hear them play around with that aspect of their music instead of being so focused on the guitar aspect. I mean, maybe this is just because I listen to more electronic music than either of you, but it does not bother me at all. <laughs> I mean, when they get to those spots where they're playing so fast that it's just, well, they they program the drums to be so fast that it's just like a humming, it sort of reflects how fast they're playing on the guitars and... I just, I feel like, I don't feel like it's a distraction for me, personally. I feel like it kind of fits, and I don't particularly care that a human couldn't play it, because the <laughs> point is that a human can't play it, I guess. <laughs> I mean, because, I don't I don't know, like, if, I don't feel like they're trying to make it sound like something a human could play. So yeah, no, it's I not don't like think a concern of theirs at all. <laughs> well, the thing, so there's there's no there's no illusion. There's no like, oh, we we have a drummer and he's really good and <laughs> they're yeah. just recording what works with the guitars, I guess. And I mean, I guess it didn't work for you guys, but Oh no, some no. Of those I mean, it's not it's not that it doesn't work. It's it I have the same issue with the guitar actually when they play those really fast sections. Just the whole mix when they play everything at full blast, for me, it just loses any character in the music because everything's happening too quickly for there to be any character there. Oh, well, for me, when that happens, everything drones out, so it ends up re registering as them playing. Well, it's kind of kind of weird because by playing that fast, I feel like they everything happens slower because rather than registering every um, every 30-second note that they play, I'm registering every four or five notes where they change the actual pitch so if you play like the same note five times really really fast and then you change to another note which you play five times really fast i'm only registering the transition in like in my head it feels like yeah i am too a texture that is moving so the the fast playing doesn't become while you're playing that fast it becomes the texture in which the music is moving yeah and i mean i i personally love that aspect of them and i love that that huge wall of sound that they're generating and then it's just this moving texture that's just very like malleable i, I don't know i really like it because you just like you know you're not supposed to focus so much on the individual characteristics it's like the the picture as a whole and it's just how it's moving and blending in but i just love the assaulting wall of sound that comes at me sometimes i mean for sure mm -hmm. but with the production being kind of on the rougher side i guess it was just i just didn't notice those subtle changes as much yeah the whole wall of sound sounded more like something that was assaulting my ears than something i could get lost in well i think that <laughs> depends on too what your um the function of the music for you because for me part of the reason that i find it uh i i enjoy that sort of thing is i tend to use it as uh, work time music or art music or that kind of thing like I'm doing a lot of times I'm doing something else while I'm listening to it so I'm not so much like listening specifically to what they're doing so much as allowing myself to get into the environment that they're creating and then using that as a conduit for the other activities I'm doing at the time so if I guess if you weren't doing that I you know what yeah, I, mean? no, like, I was if you're more directed listening and taking notes and that kind of thing yeah I mean I can imagine that being a slightly different especially because they do it for so long yeah yeah and after a point you're just like god stop <laughs> do something else <laughs> yeah which was a big part of why i personally enjoyed four more than three because especially those mid-paced guitar lines just made more memorable moments for me yeah. i can actually think of moments on four where it was like oh yeah i enjoyed that i wouldn't, wouldn't mind going back and listening to that again but three the only thing i really remember from it 
is being really bored by 314 and then getting to 315 where it's just pure space ambient and it's like really is this what we needed now after <laughs> such a boring nine minutes because with rare exception i don't skip tracks even boring ones when i'm listening to an album mm-hmm. it's like i committed to listening to this album and i'm not cheating <laughs> Yeah, but three with some exceptions. Yeah, but three sixteen is so good. Yeah, three sixteen is one of my. It just comes in with that hard hitting. I know three sixteen is one of my favorite dark space song of all time. Yeah, I mean like, I I'm iffy on that three fifteen for sure, and three fourteen doesn't stand out that much. Like, from three eleven to three thirteen, they're all okay, and then three sixteen comes in and just yeah, I know, it's so good. And then three seventeen is somehow just as good. But the thing is too with that album. 316 and 317 are both like 15 minute songs so those yeah. two songs take up like a full third of the two, yeah oh, over probably about half the album because the other ones were what i think it's an hour 20 minutes? total yeah okay so, so probably a full third yeah yeah wow you can be as precise <laughs> as you want <laughs> three eighths not three sevenths sorry <laughs> we're gonna sit down and we're going to calculate exactly what percentage <laughs> of the albums that these because <laughs> i think one's like 14 and one's like 17 so it might be well, whatever. We're not getting that. <laughs> no. We'll sit down and write a GRE question about this later. <laughs> and I'll solve it. <laughs> but it's funny you talk about um, 16, I think, coming in so quickly. Because in the intro to 311, the first time I was listening to the album, and it starts with that space, spacey ambient part, and then everything comes in at once, I actually ducked when that happened. <laughs> because it was so sudden, and I was out walking, where you know you have to kind of have heightened senses for if a car might come swerving into an intersection when you're trying to cross so that suddenly came in and i wish we weren't doing this in podcast format so i could show our listeners what was happening but i yeah. i ducked probably hilarious oh, man. that's funny i like it and that's probably the exact reaction they were hoping to evoke when they made that <laughs> they would hear this and go yeah <laughs> they're like good we succeeded <laughs> One of the issues I had with 4 was kind of like the opposite issue that you had with 4 where there were parts that I thought that I would like to hear but the problem was they were they were stuck into like a 20 minute long track where there were long ambient parts that you couldn't skip or you couldn't get rid of or like so you can't really put it on your MP3 player and listen to the parts you like. So it makes me less want to like not want to listen to it again as much as um 3 because at least with three, you know, I can get rid of 315, and I can just put <laughs> the better ones on, I guess. I mean, like I said, I don't cheat like that. But also, <laughs> <laughs> fine. I, I don't know. The ambient parts on four, I didn't really mind as much. I thought the intro might have been a little bit long, but I, I guess there I kind of more fell into what you were talking about with just sort of letting it f- sort of falling into the atmosphere the album was trying to create and trying to create and there the ambient parts didn't bother me so much um four for me is kind of i don't know i kind of have the same problem with it where i, I feel like they could have maybe split the tracks up a little bit more but it kind of like harkens back to two in that case because dark space two is only three tracks oh, yeah. and they have 20 minute long songs and all that other stuff mm-hmm. so it kind of harkens back to that a little bit i think so i think that's more what they were going after but I don't know. Well, we'll see what they do for five or three, two. <laughs> Whenever. Like a decade. Or three, from one, now. one. Yeah. Yeah. Three, one, one. No, they'll put a slash through it, I bet. <laughs> oh, I hope they put a slash through it. Why did they do. I, anyway. <laughs> yeah, we don't. But, I mean, who knows when Minus that will happen? Minus two comes out. 
<laughs> minus two. <laughs> the demo they wrote before their demo. <laughs> um, but yeah, who knows when that will be because their release times for both this and their side projects are all ridiculously staggered. They're just years in between uh, releases. Yeah, no, they've really slowed down in composing, I feel like. Like the musicians as a whole, I feel like they used to put out a lot more material and now they're taking longer and longer to put out material. Yeah, even on their side projects, it's taking a long time. Yeah, like Pace Age Deaver used to be very consistent and release kind of a lot of material. And then Dark Space seems to have happened and a lot of the writing force ended up going into that, I feel like. Because mm-hmm. the, the distance between Das Tor and the album before that is pretty long. Yeah, no, it is, definitely. And then we still only have one Son of the Blind release. Yeah, so we're still <laughs> waiting on that one. Come on. But it's still within their normal time frame. I mean, 2009 to, uh, see, between Dark Space 3 and Dark Space 4 was what, 2008 to 2014? Yeah. So if Son of the Blind was released in 2009, then 2016 isn't out of the question. That's true, but if they're increasing their time each time, it might yeah. be a 2017, 2018. 2017. <laughs> exactly. I wonder if you can calculate with a mathematical formula how long each dark space, because maybe they're doing one of those... Um, were they following a Fibonacci sequence in, their, in yeah. terms of their release times? And then eventually it'll just get to the point where there's going to be a century in between releases and we find out that they are actually aliens. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> Wait, they never said why they didn't make it to Mesdemorts. That's true, they did not. We um we did almost get to see them, which would have been really fun. But uh what was it? What was that day? it wasn't that day that they canceled. It was No, they canceled like well beforehand. They canceled like maybe like a month in advance, I think. Oh, that's right, cuz they they were supposed to play on the Thursday, which we weren't yeah, which we, we were debating whether we were going to go on the Thursday. Right. And if Dark Space was playing, we were going on Thursday cuz there was no way in hell we were going to miss Dark Space because if you go on YouTube and look up their live set, it's amazing. So we were mm-hmm. like really excited to see Dark Space live. Which, so Which is one of the things that I think based on the way their live set works with a lot of like a lot of flashing lights, a lot of really intense light work i feel like the kind of overly fast program drums would be really fitting with the yeah. with the live show but i have to experience it to actually make any judgment on it yeah i know it's, it's really cool they have like this like half circle orb type thing with just all like black lights in it and they just put it in the center of the stage so they're just all their backdrop of the band is just that kind of light shining out from the center of the stage everywhere. So it sounds it looks really cool. So who would we recommend this to? I mean, kind of like that self-titled Thorns album. If someone is already into industrial music and is looking for an avenue to get into black metal, I would definitely recommend Dark Space Four to them. And I mean, it's a niche audience, but anyone who likes space ambient, same sort of thing. This kind of music could also be a gateway for you to get into black metal. Yeah, it is a very uh, niche kind of album because it's it's not pure black metal and it's not pure ambient, so you kind of have to like both genres to like uh, Dark Space. But if you do like both genres, it's pretty much the best you can get. Yeah, I mean, even if you're into like the raw and harsh black metal, I see a lot of people that are into that stuff like this material as well. So, I don't know, if you've been a fan of Pace Age Deaver, I, I don't see why you wouldn't like this either. I was listening to my Pandora station at work, Thank goodness nobody was in the room with me at the time because I had my headphones out projecting as speakers, so it was quite, uh, it was nice and loud, and Pandora seemed to think that 
Christian electronica was what I wanted to hear. Or I, I think you would classify that as electronic. I don't know. It's it was EDM. Kind of... It was definitely EDM. Yeah, it so was. So I think that falls well within electric, or maybe pop. It was there's plenty poppy. of overlap between pop, pop and electronica. It's kind of hard to say exactly what genre I would put it in because it was trying to be quite a few things and failing at being any of them. But the title was I Want to See Jesus. <laughs> and uh, it had such lyrical brilliance as I want to see Jesus, my savior of forever, as the chorus. And uh, it was really awkward. And I was sort of disappointed in my Pandora station at the time. But I totally sent it to everybody because it was kind of hilarious. Don't forget the shoehorned in dubstep breakdown. Oh, that's right. There was a dubstep. You know, I didn't actually listen to the entire song before I sent it on because I downvoted it within like, I don't know, uh, 10 seconds. And well, as soon as, as as soon as it hit the chorus, I downvoted it. Um, so it will not show up on my Pandora anymore. But I found the I found a YouTube video for it to send to you guys and a couple other people. And the YouTube video is beautiful. It was like word art porn. Just, it was a lyric video. Oh, yeah. And it was like that Kid Cudi album for me where it was so hilariously incompetent, I couldn't stop watching. Yeah. So I made it to the dubstep breakdown, which I, was... And when you said there was a dubstep oh. breakdown, I was like, wait, really? And there was a dubstep breakdown. It was... Oh. It, which, it, oh. it's almost surprising you don't see that in modern EDM, considering that EDM as a genre of popular music evolved out of pop culture's obsession with dubstep. But you don't see that much overlap. Well, no, EDM predated dubstep by a lot. Well, EDM's popularity. Oh, popular, yeah, now? Like, uh, dominance I, in popular music. I still think it predated dubstep. Dubstep wasn't super popular until only a couple years ago. EDM's been, like, electronic I feel like Britney elements. Spears has been using EDM for quite a while. Yeah, the electronic But I'm elements. talking about the specific brand of EDM that you get right now with very obvious builds to a very obvious obvious dance breakdown. Yeah, they've been, well, the dance breakdown, yes. I Definitely the dance breakdown. Like the David they've Geddes been, of the world. It's just every year they've been including more and more electronic elements until then finally suddenly there was an obsession with dubstep and they added some more into it. But they've been building electronic elements in pop music for a while. Oh, for sure. But it's and Japan must be so confused because they're waiting for that Dynasty Warriors blazing guitar lead like Judas Priest does in yeah. all of their music. <laughs> Either way, though, uh, this was this was a pretty special, um, pretty special version of EDM, and he had a whole bunch of other other releases or other tracks listed, and I I clicked on a couple of them just to see as, if it was more of the same, and oh, ouch. <laughs> you should talk about that girl song. Oh yeah, that's right. I had to click on the one that was, uh, it was titled "For the Girls" to see what that implied, and had a beautiful chorus that was mostly about him. <laughs> and how he wrote this song for the girls. Yep, it was basically like, yep, this is for all the girls crying all around the world. I wrote this song for you. And there's a couple like bridges where he's like. I, I know I know you feel like you're having problems, can't get it right. Just listen to this song, I'll tell you all the things. <laughs> then he tells you about a man that can fix your problems. Named Jesus. Because <laughs> a man can make your problems go away. And I was like, this is wonderfully condescending. And I, uh, I downvoted that. And then I saw in the comments underneath somebody, uh, this, this little, like, 13-year-old girl had commented, I can't believe anyone's downvoting this song. It's the best song ever. And... I, I was sort of, I mean, when I see these things, I sort of assume that they're jokes, right? But apparently they're... Not necessarily. Really. 
real and people I like mean, them. I mean, there's there's this music critic that I follow on YouTube, name of Mark, his channel's named Spectrum Pulse, and I think it was his, in his review for the self-titled Hosier album where he talked about how one of the reasons Christian music is so consistently awful is because they can count on their audience to not listen to any bands that aren't explicitly Christian music. So they don't have a wide basis for comparing the music to anything else. So the Christian bands don't have to work as hard to impress them. That's that makes a lot of sense, unfortunately. But and if they're and if they're that isolated in their community, then the Christian bands that are a product of the community aren't listening to other bands to challenge them either. That's exactly. a really good point actually. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, cuz I I did have friends in high school whose parents said you can only listen to bands that are explicitly Christian. Like, I knew people who that literally was their um, restrictions. Of course, they did listen to other things when they were at school and things, and we could show them their music, but they couldn't buy any of the CDs. Their parents would throw them away or get really mad at them or take them to some intervention at church about devil <laughs> music. I don't, I mean, I don't really know how it worked technically. It makes it kind of hard to get into, the, into any other kind of music, though, if you only hear blips of it. Yeah, exactly. Cause so you can't really consume it, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you know, like if someone, like if you came along and showed them, you know, Dismember's first album, mm -hmm. they heard it like at school. Yeah, and in the, one headphone. In one like. headphone, <laughs> and like, so they can't really absorb what Dismember's even doing. Well, and the thing really. is, too, if they're listening to bands that are derivative from those bands and you give them essentially the source material... Then they might, then they, and they don't have a wide range of knowledge of different kinds of music. They're not necessarily going to be able to pull that derivative, yeah. like choose, figure out what's the derivative and what's the original. Like I've seen some, like if you read like some reviews of um, things like Star Wars now from people who are way younger than the franchise, saying this movie is completely unoriginal. You know, Star Wars Episode Four, not original. Well, maybe, <laughs> but. <laughs> You can't compare it to Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, I read someone do that. Say that, <laughs> <laughs> they say that it was just copying something like Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's like, yeah, because, you know, you're 12 and don't understand time. <laughs> <laughs> but in the case of Christian music, it's like comparing Star Wars to whatever that D-grade studio is that makes movies that are clearly trying to confuse grandmas who will buy the movie that they made oh, instead yeah. of Guardians oh, of the Galaxy. Oh, you mean the sci-fi originals? No, not the oh, sci-fi originals. No, like, that. like the company that made Snakes on a Train. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's like the, comparing um, Star Wars to that version of Guardians of the Galaxy. Like the sci-fi originals, too. Well, those are supposed to be kind of funny. Yeah. Like there was, but there was that one um, that keeps floating around the internet, that like animated mouse version of the Titanic. Oh. <laughs> oh <laughs> like, God, that... It was clearly made, like, unironically by some animation studio that it's just ah but yeah it's it's kind of like kind of like that like, like someone giving that to you saying you know, if a studio the made a movie called guarding the universe and trying to pass that off as <laughs> being close enough to guardians of the galaxy that yeah. confused consumers will buy that instead yeah yeah no like, exactly and someone's grown up less watching only movies like that <laughs> exactly and then someone shows them star wars and they're like well this is just like you know Guarding you the know, galaxy. Guarding the galaxy. Not even Guardians of the Galaxy. Guarding the galaxy. <laughs> Some fake version. Exactly. <laughs> they do have a built-in audience base for that. <laughs> That's right. for sure. 
which I've actually seen some bands comment on, like a band I talked about in the Albums We're Looking Forward To episode, Icon For Hire, they actually have a fairly long note written by the lead singer where they talked about how they specifically chose not to be a Christian band, even though they all are of the faith, because they know that they would have that guaranteed audience and all that, and they could play the Christian circuit and easily work as a band, and they know that wouldn't challenge them. They know they wouldn't be challenged to keep improving as a band and make better music. And so they specifically chose not to do that. And in fact, when they talk about the church in their songs, which they don't often, but when they do, they're always really critical of the church. That's really interesting to have a band specifically calling out the industry that way. Yeah. Instead of just... That's why it's devil's music. Well, yeah. But I mean, it's one thing They're corrupted. They're not real Christians. If the devil listens to Icon for Hire, he is not as intimidating as he's been made out to be. (laughs) But I just mean it in the sense that it's one thing for us as, you know outsiders now to criticize the christian music industry because none of us have really liked anything from that industry for i don't know ever have any of us ever liked a christian man non-ironically like specifically billed as christian too like and not not just bands where the members happen to be christian and i think yeah that's like a no and now all of us are heathens so of course we can't have a good opinion on it but then there here's a band that had this choice do we become Cartman in the <laughs> Christian rock episode or do we do our own, I'm going to say do our own thing, but make the decision that they did and they had to justify this decision and write out this decision and think about it. Especially because they were on Tooth and Nail, which I think is a Christian label. Hmm. That makes sense. Hmm. Are they no longer on that? No, they went independent um, after their second album. Oh, okay. Which... Like I talked on the last episode, is when I think the quality started to go down, but different discussion. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you bring up that episode of South Park with the Christian music, because the closest I've come to liking a Christian band, I think I talked about them in the music we listened to that we wouldn't listen to now episode, was Flyleaf, which can sometimes fall into the I love Jesus so much I want to touch his body category yeah. of Christian music. <laughs> you seem to really love Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, because I, I had a couple a couple people in high school when we would have music discussions and they were of that group that either they were very strongly encouraged to only listen to Christian music or restricted to only listen to Christian music, try to recommend me things. Oh, no. And, like, I wouldn't say I had the best music taste in high school, but... <laughs> <laughs> I knew I knew when something wasn't that good, but it, it's always hard to be like, yeah, um, that was an interesting suggestion you made. Like, uh, I had a friend who knew that I was getting into metal, and he had lots of Christian bands, and he gave me this band called Zao, I think, and they supposedly played Christian death metal. That was I think I think it's Zao actually. Zao. I think. I know I was pronouncing. I had Zao. Some, I had some. There were people. They get the started thing. getting. They started getting recognition in the. Um, when I was getting to the metal scene, when yeah, I was involved too, for some reason, they are not bad. They're just hopelessly generic, <laughs> which is typical. Well, yeah, that's exactly what you'd expect. But then you have, you know, you have these, these people who aren't actually involved in the scene going, "Wow, it's amazing! It's the best! It's such good metal!" And it's like, well, yeah, it's good Christian metal, but <laughs> have you heard Entomb's Left Hand Path? Because <laughs> like, I feel like you haven't. <laughs> well, see. I think at that point I hadn't yet heard Dismember, but yeah. I had heard, uh, I had heard Nevermore and Iced Earth 
and Meshuggah. So... <laughs> Apparently, Zhao no longer considers itself a Christian band. Really? Because only half of the members identify themselves as Christian now. Interesting. Well, this was this was definitely back when they were yeah, all, when they were, all yeah. Christian. Mm. I wonder if their music has improved. <laughs> I, or if they're still generic. I don't know. Now I have to follow up on this. <laughs> I mean, you can be generic without Christianity. Well, yeah, no, exactly. It's oh. just that it seems to go hand in hand. Hundreds of bands in the black metal world doing this every day. <laughs> Generic Satan black metal. Like yeah. It's a thing. <laughs> There's a reason why that's kind of a trope. Yeah. <laughs> in the industry. What was the thing? Oh, yeah, write some lyrics. Yeah, just yell Satan over and over. <laughs> Pretty much. Which Gaul, I believe, does default to doing once in a while in Gorgoroth songs. <laughs> that's fine. It's perfectly legit. <laughs> no one said it had to be good or not generic. It's just that it seems so hard for the bands that identify as Christian to rise above that generic label. Like, it's one of those that's yeah, not no, required no, to be without... Yeah, there's no, like, no, none of them are pushing genre boundaries ever, I feel I mean, like. They don't have to when they have that guaranteed audience that isn't going to listen to non-Christian acts. Yeah. For that kind of audience, something that a Christian band's make, band makes could be genre pushing, could be pushing boundaries that they've never had pushed before because they aren't listening to a wider range of music that's going to push their boundaries more yeah that's true that's probably why antester does as well as they do no definitely because like as far as black metal is concerned it's like eh but well they also don't have a lot of options if you want to listen to black metal (laughs) (laughs) well well, that's what i mean like if if you compare antester to every other black metal band you're like well that follows falls somewhere solidly in the middle of the pack but for yeah. a, for a Christian teenager who's like, I really really like metal and want actual metal bands that my that I can own the CD of. Yeah, that probably blows your mind. Yeah, probably. Even though bands like Antis are like painfully generic. Yeah. Like like the the cliched musicianship is just intense. <laughs> it's like overwhelming how cliched everything is. You're like, wow. <laughs> well. You've basically copied everything else from other bands and produced this product that everyone else in the in the scene has except for the christian kid whose music collection is totally curated by his parents yeah (laughs) i don't know i just that just makes me so sad that someone would be so restricted in their ability to explore the world based on anything really yeah i don't know i just feel like anything that puts a limit on your ability to explore your environment and express yourself is just bad yeah well that's why you're a heathen i know because anything that would draw you to the path of questioning god's supremacy is bad (laughs) yep i'm a heathen i guess (laughs) and then you have jerks like me that don't even consider antester actual black metal because you can't be christian and black metal at the same time per definition of my of how i define black metal all right this argument (laughs) yeah i know so i'm like super strict on that so so then what are they adam they're a metal band what kind of metal adam just a metal band, a heavy metal band. Unblack metal. Unblack. <laughs> white, white metal. White metal. <laughs> it's so funny when they call that's, it, when some of them it's called white, not... white metal, because I'm just like, how are no one seeing that there could be an NS kind of a concept <laughs> here going on? Well. <laughs> the other question is, why haven't the NS bands jumped on this I yet? know. <laughs> or maybe they're just like, damn, people are going to confuse us for Christian bands. I guess we'll just have to stick with the NSPM. <laughs> I, I, th- I thought the Christians jumped on the white metal thing first. Like, that was yeah, like their did. first knee-jerk reaction was, right. oh, yeah, we're going to play black metal, but without Satan, so it's white metal and then right because the it's, ns bands like it, damn it because <laughs> yeah. i remember it came out they're like calling it white metal because it's anti-black metal and i'm like if you're yeah. anti-black metal then what the hell are you doing 
What is the point? I don't know. We're going to play the same exact music as as you uh, structurally and then be against what you're doing. We already determined what the point is. The point is there's this Christian teenager right now that wants to listen to black metal, yeah. isn't allowed to listen to black metal, and therefore has to buy their CD. <laughs> And they're they not going to right because they're not going to go buy De Mystery Stomsathanis because they're not allowed to. They're not allowed to. <laughs> they are not allowed to because if they do, their parent will throw out all of their CDs and bring them in for a heart to heart. Right, but I mean, it's just it's just confusing to me in a lot of ways because you you're going to stand against the genre of music that you're trying to perform to market to the closeted teenager, which is okay. I understand that aspect of it. But then why would you be anti the genre you're trying to emulate? It's it's so confusing. It's not you're not taking anything back because you never had anything. <laughs> it wasn't something else before. <laughs> this genre has always belonged to Satan. Yeah. <laughs> it really has. <laughs> Since day one, it belonged to Satan. Which was kind of the point. <laughs> No, I think that I thought their argument was usually like use Satan's own tool against him or something. Yeah, it wasn't like and then reclaiming they, it. It was it was. Uh, and then they tiptoe around the thing and being and being like, well, it's just a music genre. It doesn't have to be such and such a thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be about Satan. Oh, that's or right. The, they they tiptoe around that argument a where lot it's of like times. A music genre cannot be based on ideology. The music genre has to be based only on sound. So therefore, yeah. if I use tremolo picking and double bass, I'm playing and harsh vocals. I'm playing black metal. Ergo, yeah, I don't have to. Even though black metal's purpose was to be solidified in an ideology when it was created, and everyone like around the world pretty much agrees. Well, I mean, (laughs) the vast majority agree. Nowadays, how has that changed? Because now that we have things like, for example, Dark Space, which we just talked about, which has never talked about Satan. But they're anti-Christian. Well, yeah, you talk to the guys in the band; they are. True, but I mean, that's what about a band that doesn't take a strong anti-religion stance, like. I don't know, Wolves in the Throne Room. Yeah, I mean, well, Dark Space doesn't take an anti-religion stance, like, in their music, but... Well, that's the, that's, the, that's the ultimate question, though, is, like, now that you can have music without lyrical themes and concept that is explicitly anti-religious, does that argument now have more weight than, say, it did in the 90s? When... I don't think so, because the com- it's the community, by and large. I mean, it, I don't think there's just any question about it, the way that the bands approach their livelihood really i mean like wolves in the throne room where they venerate nature so much how can they be like christian or anything like that other than how they are like super heathens because they're so into nature you seem to really love nature <laughs> oh boy <laughs> but i mean but that's the tree's thing. trunk is so girthy <laughs> oh, oh no we, we need to move on <laughs> but but you know, you know that's the thing. It's just like one of those things that when you're involved in the community, you know, it's gonna venerate itself. I mean, the thrash metal people don't seem to care as much because Tom Array is a well-known Catholic or whatever, and he's doing his thing. And as long as, oh man, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but as long as the guitarist is writing all of the lyrics about Satan and how awesome Satan is, everything's okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> their music still gets to be awesome. Um, I think black metal is kind of like that, as long as you kind of maintain that ethos of anti-religion through a lot of their works and stuff, you know, your general livelihood and stuff like that, and the way you think about life outside. I think that's one of those things that kind of just like that. Then it's okay. So at the very least, not supporting religion with your right. lyrics and stuff exactly. like that. 
That's my opinion. I mean, black metal yeah. can't be about Christianity. It makes no sense. Yeah, no. This is like this. This is the conversation that's been yeah. going on since black metal began to exist as its own distinct thing. Yeah, so. it's like you can play as many inverted power chords as you want. It doesn't make. And if you're gonna think about how awesome Jesus is, I'm sorry. It's just like. <laughs> makes no sense <laughs> in the spirit of i guess in the spirit of or in the legacy of or yeah. something like that it can't be in the spirit of black metal yeah either way so i don't know that's how i usually take on it i'm a little less strict than some of the swedish guys where black metal must be about satanism and like oh. it must be about devil worship <laughs> or else it's not actual so they wouldn't consider dark space black metal because dark space doesn't talk about satan and stuff like that That so such a limiting view though we would have missed out on so many great (laughs) black metal bands if because i know that idea used to be more prominent in the black metal community we would have missed out on so many great modern bands if that restriction remained in place no i agree alternatively if you could make the music based on the sound but it got a different genre based on every lyrical theme that happened (laughs) yeah Black metal is specifically about Satan. So you'd have green yeah. metal and for now, nature. Green metal for nature. Well, the, and, and I think one band put they play infernal metal in one of their infernal CD. metal. Yeah, because it's about fire and stuff. Yeah, and not because it's about Satan. And then there's you know like space black metal, and it's okay to have black metal in there because that's you know space is black, but. <laughs> I don't know. How many different yeah. subgenres could we make? Based maybe you'd on have to call it things. void metal because black yeah. is oh, already yeah. taken by Satan. Yeah. You're right. Black well, that, is Satan. That's so the, that's the thing, metal. though. It, it's just like, I feel like topically you can only sing about Satan for so long, for 20 years. I mean, there's still <laughs> bands doing it, but it's just like, I mean, I can see why some bands would like to maybe diversify diversify <laughs> i mean that's why you get a lot of the heathen black metal bands like graveland and stuff that talk about their culture and all that other good stuff and if, if i mean you want to talk about people that are super anti-christian i mean rob darkin is definitely up there on my bill he would if they were going to go to war to fight the christians out of poland he'd be right there with <laughs> everyone else he's already got his uh he's already got his outfit too he does he's got his outfit so he's all set with his alien helmet and everything yeah oh man there's a, there are quite a few people who do that kind of like um what's it called reenacting oh yeah with the with the pagan stuff or it's like yeah they take pictures like that on their cd it's not just the picture on their cd they're really into it yeah it's kind of cool actually it is kind of cool i think he actually does um some like i think when they have like reenactments and stuff like that i think he's actually like participate in some of those like historical reenactments yeah like events and things like that yeah he posts pictures of that sometimes where he'll be like this is the reenactment we're doing and it's like a legit reenactment which is kind of awesome it's really cool i think it's really neat i mean he knows his stuff about his culture and everything which is really cool so much more interesting yeah. than Satan, Satan, Satan. Yeah. Satan. So, I mean, you can. I feel like you can only do that so often. I mean, Dark Funeral is still going strong and talking about Satan, so, I mean, I, you can do it. Behemoth <laughs> is still going strong, and their latest album was called The Satanist. That's true. That's true. How much true. more is there to say about Satan, though? I yeah. Mean, mm. But I, I, feel mean, like, it, I feel like Behemoth's Root has actually gone like more of like a philosophical aspect as well. They've actually like gone a little bit deeper. They've gone to the next stage of Satanism, I feel like. Whereas, I'm not so sure Dark Funeral kind of has lyrically. I feel like they're just like, Satan is awesome, and Satan like drives our music, and that's pretty much where we're going to go. Well, Satanism's complicated. There's a lot of yeah. different kinds of Satanism, so it might just be adopting one that has more of a philosophical stance, like Luciferianism, rather than, you know, theistic Satanism. Right, yeah, but... which, is, which is what I think um, Behemoth adopts. I think they go after um, Luciferianism a lot. But to the question of how long you can talk about Satan, I mean, in a genre where lyrics are such not a central focus, 
I, you can I probably bring more songs out of one topic than you could in a, in other genres. That's true. That's, that is probably true. You, you just have to find the words that sound good when you shout them in a certain way, arrange them on the paper, and then just go Satan, blood, forest, moon. I mean, and like you're if you, good if you for look 20 at... years. Goats. <laughs> yeah, goats. <laughs> I mean, I guess it makes sense, though, because, I mean, if you look at, like, pop music, like, that's been, like, the pop music, I mean, how often can you talk about having sex with someone? And parties in parties and stuff like that and i feel like and love i mean think about love. how long people are singing about love yeah god it's so true. boring it is they so need to move love. on <laughs> yeah i know love is a thing you don't have to tell me about it let's talk about something more interesting oh i'm sorry your breakup sucked but the breakups <laughs> yeah. that all the singers who came before you also kind of sucked yeah and they also mm-hmm. talked about it <laughs> yeah. taylor swift would have nothing to sing about anymore if that was the... <laughs> No one would. No, yeah. Yeah, no I don't know. Would. I mean, because well, yeah, like everyone's gonna have the love song and breakup song nowadays, right? And yep. then and... love song, breakup song, party song, uh, thinly veiled sex song. Oh yeah, yeah at, at least or one of explicit those. sex song now, like nowadays, <laughs> which is pretty obvious. Both and the radio friendly version. Right. Because right. <laughs> I mean, I'm loving you. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's exactly what that was. Because I mean. I don't think there's like any other way to interpret songs like Anaconda other than this is about sex. <laughs> well, no, it's uh, about her butt. No, it's about a snake. <laughs> Didn't you see the, what was the college humor video about it? Oh, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, was it was literally awesome. about snakes. That yeah. was the best version. That was good. And don't forget the skinny bitches. It has quite a bit to say about skinny bitches. <laughs> it does. That's true. That's a, that is a topic that has not been uh, properly. That's true. That, is, that has not been fully like formed as a thought. <laughs> Right, we've only had two skinny bitches songs. Where are the rest? Yeah, where are the full concept albums on this topic? (laughs) I don't know. I want to hear more about with the uh... London Philharmonic backing every moment. (laughs) I just want to hear more facts about snakes. (laughs) Rhythm. Well, you would love those educational cassette tapes that I listened to when I was a wee youngin. I did love those educational cassette tapes. You have no idea. One of my favorite songs by Entombed is their instrumental version of the Wolverine Blues song, where they literally give you facts about Wolverines. Excellent. Yeah, and that, was on, the, that was on the EP, on the Hollow Man EP. I loved it so much. I keep that one in my playlist just as much as the original Wolverine. <laughs> so, Vans, animal facts. <laughs> It could be a thing you can, that could get you places. I know. Especially all you nature-loving black metal bands. Oh, oh my god! Show us how much you love nature. <laughs> you know how many species there are in the world that have never had a song about them? Oh, so many. You could release albums like called Botany and just have someone <laughs> read facts about your local fauna. Exactly. I mean, there is a, a black metal band called Botanist, but I don't know what he writes his songs about. I hope but he writes not... about stamen. <laughs> but he doesn't like read the fact sheet to you. That's true. We want to play the music and then someone just reciting the fact sheet. McGuire could do this. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Based on the way that their last album was... Uh... What the recitation style. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They just read the essay that they wrote for class. <laughs> you can read your fact sheet. You can tell some interesting things. Maybe a couple <laughs> scientific papers to provide us with the evidence we need. Because, I mean, nowadays... We have to prove that the species are related with genomic factors as well as morphotypes. I mean, this is like a really... And proper citations as a spoken word bit during the outro. Proper cite, Yes. Proper citations. we got to cite all of our resources. I think we made a new genre today. <laughs> I think so.
That's all for today. Next time will be Melakesh's Enki, and you can join in the discussion on our Culture Shock Facebook or Twitter, find your host through the links posted on our SoundCloud, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a five-star review if you like us. Thanks for listening. See you next time.